Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, my thesis for this afternoon is very simple. It is this, without biblical creation, you cannot have Christianity. That's a controversial uh, assertion, and I'm aware of that. There are many uh, Christian churches and Christian organizations uh, that have rejected a biblical view of creation according to what Genesis 1 teaches, and yet they still claim for themselves the title of Christian and say, who are you to take that away from us? But the goal for this afternoon is to show from Scripture why that cannot be the case, or at least why that cannot consistently be and sustainably be the case. Uh, so let me s- start by stating it as, as strongly as possible. Biblical creationism is as foundational and as necessary to the Christian faith as the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, most Christians agree uh, that that the doctrine of the Trinity is foundational to the Christian faith. And maybe you've even heard it said, I've, I've heard it said, you know, creation is something we can uh, agree to disagree on as long as we agree on the Trinity. As if that's more foundational to the Christian faith. Uh, my response to that would be two things. Uh, first, the doctrine of creation is taught far more explicitly and far more frequently in Scripture than the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, And second, the doctrine of creation was agreed upon and established in the Christian church and enshrined in the Christian creeds, like the Apostles' Creed, long before the doctrine of the Trinity was ever formulated into words. Christians agreed on the doctrine of creation. Now, None of that is to say, of course, that we should be doing this sort of game, measuring different doctrines uh, and their relative importance uh, by putting them into some hierarchy or chart. Uh, if Scripture teaches something, we ought to believe it. That's, that's the way that faith works. Uh, but the more clearly it is taught, and the more foundational it is to the faith, the more necessary it is that the church stands strong on that doctrine uh, and stand behind it no matter what opposition we might face from the world or even sometimes from within the church. Creation is one of the most clearly taught, clearly laid out doctrines in all of Scripture and that's for good reason because it's fundamental to the Christian faith. Uh, so the, afternoon, uh, the theme for this afternoon's sermon is creation, the foundation of the Christian faith. Uh, what I want to do is first show you where that comes from in Scripture, uh, and then we want to take some time to consider what is uh, the, the most serious challenge to this doctrine, and arguably the most serious challenge to the Christian faith Uh, for for at least the last 200 years in in the theory of evolution put forward by Charles Darwin. Uh, And once we've done that, uh, I'll I'll also take a moment to talk about how we can build on this doctrine of creation in our own faith and in our witness to the faith in our lives today. So that's the goal. See where it is in Scripture, look at how it's challenged, and then think about not only how to respond to that, but how to build upon that and live live our lives in light of that. 
so we begin with, with laying the foundation that is in Scripture. Uh, the doctrine of creation is very simply this, that God created the heavens and the earth uh, and all creatures therein out of nothing, in the Latin it's ex nihilo, out of nothing, uh, by his word in six days. And further, that he also created the first man from the dust of the ground on the sixth day and the first woman from that man's ribs. And finally, that all that God created was good. If you can swallow uh, all of that. So God created everything out of nothing, created the man on the sixth day and the woman from the rib of the man, and that all that God created was good. You can tell how foundational this doctrine is by the fact that the very first words of Scripture are devoted to teaching it. That's the starting place for the Word of God itself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Every sentence that follows that in Scripture makes no sense without that as your starting place. Uh, All the history that follows in Genesis, Exodus, and, and so on and so forth makes no sense without that first sentence in Scripture. Uh, it's not all, at all surprising then that the Christian faith also begins here in the doctrine of creation because this gets at the most, the most fundamental question that human beings have ever asked. You know, every worldview, every religion asks these fundamental questions of who are we, where did we come from, and why are we here? Every, every worldview asks those questions, and Genesis 1 verse 1 begins to answer those questions by saying, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and then as you read the chapter, uh, so also He created us. Uh, everything in your life follows from how you answer those questions, those most fundamental questions that human beings have been asking uh, for all of human history. Who are we? Where did we come from? And why are we here? Everything you live follows from those. Now, there, there are many different answers to those questions. Uh, some religions are, are dualistic, uh, which, is, which means that uh, they believe that the universe has always been in this, this struggle between light and dark, between good and, and evil, and no side ever truly gets the upper hand. If you've seen the, the, the yin and yang of the, the Korean flag, uh, it, it shows that, that struggle of no, no side truly ever gets the upper, upper hand. Uh, we are born, we are reborn in the midst of that struggle. It's a dualistic religion. Uh, there are other religions that are pantheistic, uh, saying that the universe itself is God. Uh, that, that everything in it is a manifestation of God and that you and I are pieces of God uh, in, in ourselves. Uh, with, with, you know, the material that makes up our bodies having existed from eternity. Uh, and then, perhaps predominantly in our culture, many worldviews are materialistic, which is to say that all that exists is matter. And matter uh, is simply here, we are simply here by time and chance, the random collision of molecules, and and God, our souls, and all things spiritual are merely an illusion. These are some of the the great worldviews that that rule human culture. 
And all, the way we answer all these questions has an impact on how we view the world and how we view our lives. Uh, in a dualistic worldview, for example, that yin, yin and yang, uh, there's no hope that things will ever ultimately improve. Uh, wherever any good is found, there will be a corresponding evil that comes in. And my only goal in life in, in that kind of worldview is to find balance, to find a balance between good and, and evil. Uh, in a pantheistic worldview, uh, even uh, since, since everything in the universe is a manifestation of God, what's the conclusion? Even evil itself is a manifestation of God. And so therefore, nothing is objectively, truly evil. Uh, this, is, this is where you, you bring in the category of karma. That which appears evil is actually uh, you suffering consequences for some sins done in a former life and is therefore good. Uh, it's something that belongs uh, in the heart of God in that kind of worldview. And of course, in a materialistic worldview, where all there is is matter and there is no, no such thing as, as, as spirituality, uh, good and evil themselves, being spiritual categories, are, are themselves an illusion. Well, biblical creationism stands out very radically from all these other worldviews. Uh, as, as the Bible teaches us, creation is not God. We're not pantheistic. This universe is not God, nor is it a part of God. It is distinct from its creator. Uh, God is eternal. Uh, and so Genesis begins with those, those first four words, which are, which are incredibly profound when you think about them, in the beginning, God. The universe wasn't there yet, but God is already assumed. God is eternal. He has been there forever. The universe is His creation. Uh, there's, there's no explanation for where God came from, what caused God, uh, because God Himself is outside of causality itself. There is nothing to cause God. Uh, he stands in eternity. Uh, creation, on the other hand, is dependent. Uh, we exist by the Word of God and by the constant sustaining power of God. Very different worldview than, than the way that Hindus, Buddhists, uh, and, and materialists in our culture think. Uh, without God to have created us, there would be no universe. Uh, try and imagine this. No space, nor time. Not just a big empty blackness, but nothing. Nothing at all without God's prior action. Uh, and indeed, without God currently, even now, sustaining this universe, it would cease to exist. Uh, so God is distinct from creation, but God is also involved with creation. He upholds it. He sustains it. Uh, that means our, our meaning as human beings, as part of God's creation, our meaning and our purpose comes from God. As our Creator, He tells us, He informs us who we are and what is our purpose in life. So there you have the answer to, to this, this first big question. Uh, where did we come from? We come from God. Why are we here? We are here for God's glory. Uh, it answers that first, those first two questions. Uh, likewise, if we ask, uh, what is good? What is evil? Is it merely an instinct that we have within us? Or is there that which is truly objectively good and that which is truly objectively evil 
We find those answers in our God. And you see the refrain in in Genesis 1, God looked at what He made and it was good. There's a good, a standard of good that exists back in eternity in the heart of God Himself. Well, the entire Christian faith then is built upon these these foundational principles. Uh, For example, how, how can we confess as Christians that, that Christ has saved us from our sins without first appealing to the categories of good and evil that make up sin itself. You can't have sin unless there is true, objective evil. Uh, we cannot rightly understand uh, what sin is either until we understand that God has created us and that we're therefore accountable to Him uh, because we are His creation. Uh, so, brothers and sisters, Uh, You need to know this. God created you. And God holds you, therefore, accountable. Your life is accountable to Him because you are His creation. Uh, You do not have the right to set the rules for right and wrong in your own life. Those rules have already been set by your Creator. Uh, They are objective Categories. Here we differ from our culture, don't we? Where our culture says uh, that what's good for you is good for you. What's good for me is, is good for me. Right and wrong are, are personal categories to decide for ourselves. And scripture teaches no. They are objective categories found in the heart of God to which we are held accountable. Uh, we don't get to choose what is good. And, and thank God we don't. Uh, because we've seen already in human history what happens when people become a law unto themselves. Uh, so you can see how foundational this doctrine is by the fact that, that, that Scripture starts with it. Uh, but also, not only does Scripture start with it, but also missions, Christian missions and Christian evangelism also starts there. Uh, that's where Paul started when he went to the Greeks in Athens, as he's preaching to these enlightened people in Athens. Uh, when, when he went to the Jews, he would go straight to the identity of the Messiah, because they have a shared understanding of, of God as our Creator. When he went to the Greeks, who had no knowledge of God, Paul starts, very notably, in creation. And you sometimes hear it. People say, you know, we as Christians, can, we can disagree on the doctrine of creation and we shouldn't stand too strongly, too dogmatically on the doctrine of creation because we'll, we'll end up pushing people away who are seeking after God. Uh, it's going to be bad for evangelism. Paul starts his evangelism with the doctrine of creation. He says we're not going to be able to talk about the true God until we know that He is our Creator. Uh, So, uh, when you look at the sermon he preached in Athens to this this Gentile pagan audience, he says uh, in Acts 17 verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Uh, So he says, this is who God is, and therein you find who you are as well. So the God who made heaven and earth and everything in it, including you. So he defines not only God, he defines uh, you. And then he he proceeds to tell them about how God created Adam, and how all the nations of the earth have come from Adam, uh, and how therefore, notice the implication, therefore we owe him our worship. Uh, that's the point that Paul makes. And therefore, 
he commands us to repent. Do you see how the gospel message hinges upon the doctrine of creation? If God had not created us, we would not be obliged to worship him, and there'd be no meat in the command to, to repent. Why should I repent? I'm not accountable to a God who didn't make me. Uh, so Paul has to define the terms. Uh, you notice this with the book of Romans as well. Romans is an interesting letter because Paul, it's one of the few letters Paul wrote to a church he had never yet been to. Uh, he, he had never been to Rome uh, before that. Uh, but he writes this letter to, to the Romans and he starts, you notice, with creation. Now he has a brief introduction about the gospel, but then as he opens it up and unpacks it, he starts in creation. Uh, He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men because ever since the creation of the world, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. Understand this. Without creation, you don't have the gospel. It, It makes no sense. It stands on no ground. This is why, um, if if some of you are familiar with the Two Ways to Live course, uh, we did this course a few years back in in our congregation, Uh, with with the Two Ways to Live course, uh, which is a course on on evangelism, it begins in creation. It starts there. If you're going to explain the gospel to anybody, you have to begin with creation, or at least find your place in that conversation, to draw it back to creation because people are living with a totally different worldview if if they don't understand creation. Uh, Without creation, the gospel no longer makes any sense. Uh, This has been shown to be the case in, in many world missions as well. In places like Japan and China, uh, where, where school children are brought up on Darwinian evolution right from, from the earliest ages, uh, missionaries have, have found almost universally you can't preach the gospel there until you first begin by correcting the, the, the wrong understandings of creation. Uh, it just makes no sense. People wonder, you know, why would Jesus die? It just doesn't make sense to them until they understand that we are God's creation and then things click into place. Then it makes sense. It's, it's, it's when you understand creation, then you come to the point like the Jews did as Peter preached on Pentecost where you can finally ask, brothers, what shall we do? And the gospel command can be can be given, repent and believe and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. It only makes sense with creation. Uh, and it isn't just Genesis 1 verse 1. There, there are some, some groups that would say, yes, Genesis 1 verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, that's foundational, but the rest of Genesis, uh, at least the rest of the first three chapters, are sort of optional. Uh, that isn't the case. It's not just that God created the universe in general, it's the specifics of the creation account that matter that the Christian faith hinges upon. It is essential for the Christian faith to believe, for example, that God created Adam and Eve by a special act of creation with a special dignity such that they are the only ancestors to the human race. This is where a lot of groups will will say it doesn't really matter whether Adam and Eve were the only ancestors. Maybe they were part of a group of Neanderthals and and other uh, pre-human hominid creatures. Uh, No, the Christian faith 
depends upon Adam and Eve being created in the image of God and being the only ancestors of our race. Uh, This is so clearly taught in Genesis that it takes an incredible amount of mental gymnastics to be able to, 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 to believe otherwise and to try and make Genesis say something else. Uh, and it matters. Human beings are not evolved animals. Uh, we were created for relationship with God. God didn't send His Son to die for the animals. He sent His Son to die for us. Why? Because we were created with the image of God and because our ancestors fell into sin. Uh, This is foundational then to the Christian faith. It is because of the fall of our first parents that we too are fallen and that we have a need for redemption. It's because they sinned that you and I are born in sin. It's because of their sin that the creation is broken the way that it is. And it's because of their sin that Jesus Christ came to die. Uh, So understand this, without a historical Adam and Eve uh, created by special creation as the only ancestors of our race, you cannot have Christianity. It makes no sense. Now, Okay, that's the biblical doctrine, but then you might say, well, what about science? Matt Walsh, a a commentator um, familiar, I'm sure, to to many of us, a a conservative uh, commentator coming from the Roman Catholic tradition, uh, recently uh, posted on a podcast uh, that that in order to to believe in six-day creation, you have to dispose of uh, all the consensus of all the fields of, of biology, geology, paleontology, and he listed a number of other sciences. And the, the, the reality is, Many of us think the same thoughts, even if it's privately in our own heads. If I'm going to believe in biblical creation, in six-day creation, does that not make me a fool when it comes to science? Does that not uh, present real problems? Well, first we should rightly understand that, that not all science is conducted the same way. Uh, there, are, there are sciences that can be repeated, tested, measured, and, and so forth. There are other branches of science that involve uh, taking evidence that is left behind. It's real science, but it takes evidence that's left behind and concocts a story that best explains the evidence. Now, that is science, but that kind of science, as everyone who's in those fields knows, is much more subject to our own preconceptions and biases. Anyone that works with criminal forensics, that, that branch of science, uh, recognizes your preconceptions have a huge influence on what you uh, conclude from the evidence. It's very easy to come up with a story that explains the evidence away, uh, but ends up emphasizing some pieces and ignoring others. Uh, so we need to have a mature, healthy understanding of what's even science if we're going to find our way through this, this debate. Uh, here's the point. The story of human evolution as taught by Charles Darwin was born not in the first place out of scientific observations. That's not where the story of evolution came from. 
It's just simply historically not. It was born out of philosophical commitments. Commitments to the idea of a, a remote, unattached, uninvolved God who does not do miracles, who does not uh, involve himself in his creation. That's what Darwin believed. That's what Darwin's grandfather and, and his father before him also believed. Philosophical commitments that lead to a certain historical explanation of the evidence. Uh, that's important to understand. Uh, Romans 1 teaches us that what can be known about God is plain from creation, but men suppress the truth. That's how we need to think about uh, this, this, this story. Uh, the story of Charles Darwin is often told this way, and it's just historically wrong, uh, that, that Charles Darwin was this Bible-believing scientist who, who just stumbled on the evidence in uh, in the Galapagos and saw these finches and just was overwhelmed by the evidence and concluded that, that we must have all evolved from a single, uh, a single biological ancestor. That's not true. Uh, Darwin's grandfather was teaching evolution long before there was any evidence to back the story up. What Darwin did was find a, a scientific explanation to account for a belief he already held and a whole community of his fellow scientists already held without having that, that evidence uh, prior to that. Uh, he, he was raised in a home that was skeptical of much of Scripture already. They had already dismissed all the miracle accounts. They had already dismissed the creation accounts. Then they find the evidence and come up with a story. That's not science. That's not how it works. Uh, it's not that he accepted the idea of evolution because the evidence was overwhelming or compelling. Uh, quite the contrary. He put the evidence in a certain order because the story was so attractive and compelling. It's a philosophical belief that comes first. Uh, and it's, it was attractive to him and to his fellow uh, academics at that time uh, because when you believe in a God who doesn't do miracles, who didn't, didn't create us, then you have a God who also cannot hold us accountable, who will not send us to hell. They didn't believe in that either. Uh, who does not judge us as God does. It's an attractive story for which you need supporting evidence that's how the story of, of Darwinian evolution uh, was born. Now, by the way, when, when we speak of evolution, we're not talking here of adaptation. Um, there's often uh, a convolution between those, those two terms. Adaptation is something we observe in, in many species, that species change over time. That's not the same thing as species being created uh, into entirely new species through mutation and, and natural selection and all that. Uh, the, the, the theory is that all human uh, beings, including and, and all other species, came from one single biological ancestor. There, there, there is no evidence to support that story. So let me get back to the question then. Do Christians need to reject science in order to believe in six-day creation? Let me give a two-part answer to that question. Uh, in the first place, we need to recognize that Christians must place the highest authority on the Word of God, even if it does seem to conflict with the evidence. Uh, when God told Abraham, 
to leave his home, that he was going to make of him a, a mighty nation, uh, and, and, and told him to go to a country he didn't know, Abraham went in spite of the overwhelming evidence that it wasn't going to work out. Uh, his, his wife was barren. They were too old to have children. Uh, and yet they went. We, as, as Christians, living by faith, we do not uh, weigh God's word against the evidence and choose which one comes out in the balance. That's not how faith works. Uh, in the second place, though we do need to recognize that we do live in God's world, and the world we see around us is the world that God tells us about in His Word. Uh, and, and so we should expect to see the evidence of, God's, of, of the truthfulness of God's Word all around us. And Romans 1 emphasizes that. We do see God's signature on all that God has made. Uh, th- this is... Many conservative Christians say, you know, all we need to do is just believe the Bible and you'll be fine. It's, it's more than that. You not only believe the Bible, but then you take the Bible and you see the world through the lens that Scripture gives you. You should be able to do science with integrity as one who believes in Scripture. And this is exactly what many intelligent, believing scientists are doing, even though the world, and often, sadly, their own fellow Christians, heap ridicule upon them. Uh, No, Christians do not need to reject science in order to believe God's Word. In fact, Christians should be better at science because they stand on the foundation of God's Word, and they know the Creator of this world. That being said, Christians will need to recognize uh, that, that we are up against a much better funded and better staffed scientific community that hates the Christian faith and holds it up to ridicule. Now, there are, there are many thousands of, of intelligent PhD scientists that do believe in six-day creation, but their voices voices will not be heard in the larger culture. If that's unacceptable to you and you say, no, I must stand with with what the world regards as the the trustworthy, academically uh, equipped community, then you will fall away from the faith. That's that's not how Christians live. We stand on the Word of God uh, while recognizing the evidence for the Word in the world around us. Uh, It shouldn't come up, it shouldn't come to us as any surprise that the world thinks the Christian faith is nuts. It shouldn't surprise you. Uh, Romans 1 says, unrighteous men will suppress the truth. Uh, Get used to it. If, if you think about it, if the incredible complexity of God's and beauty of God's creation, uh, you take something like the human eye, for example, uh, with, with its hundreds of individual working parts, all of which need to be there for any of it to work. There's the big question, how, do, how does something like that evolve? Uh, if, if seeing things like that, of which there are millions in God's creation, if seeing things like that is not enough to persuade the world that we haven't come here by chance, but rather are the, the, the creation of God's hands, uh, if that will not persuade them, I would put it to you that it's, the problem is not a lack of evidence. It's a preconceived heart commitment 
that is the issue. Unbelievers, as Romans teaches us, don't want to see the weakness of their theory because the only alternative will be to recognize that we are the creation of a wise and perfect God. That's the problem because if that's true, then that means you will also stand before his judgment throne on the final day. Uh, The reality is there are massive scientific problems uh, with with, with evolutionary theory. Uh, The origin of life, uh, how does life come from non-life, never been observed and and actually is, is a law of biology that cannot that says it cannot ever happen. Uh, how does the DNA code come into being? All these, these massive problems that have no answer. No, no answer has ever been given. Uh, and yet, so there are these massive problems. And the day may come when the theory of evolution does finally break under the weight of all these problems. But you can rest assured something will come to take its place. It's not a question of the evidence. It's not a question of the science. It's a question of the heart. Will we stand before our God who created us and repent? Uh, that is the question. Uh, some, some are there already, in fact. There's a growing, uh, a growing uh, scientific community called the Intelligent Design Movement, which is not a Christian movement. Uh, it, it is a movement of scientists who... who who recognize that we, we are created because there's, there's no other explanation for, for how this world came into being or how we as human beings uh, came into being. And yet they say we must then therefore have been created by some other intelligent being, but it cannot be God. Something will always come to take uh, the place of whatever reigning theory it is. Uh, we, we need to recognize as Christians, this is a question of the heart, not a question of the evidence. Uh, so, yes, Christians may embrace science, uh, but they do need to know that they're doing that in a world that is determined to suppress the truth. That's the world that, that we're, we're presented with in Romans 1. It shouldn't come as any surprise to us then that that is as true in science as it is in any other human discipline. Uh, Christians will need the personal fortitude uh, of of their own convictions standing on the Word of God, and Christians will need the support of their churches to not give in to the immense peer pressure that does exist in the scientific community. And and that is where many Christians are, perhaps uh, I imagine even some here in this congregation, uh, students or professors at university, and, and the pressure The pressure to be taken seriously is tremendous. It is a very real pressure. And when you're under that pressure, the evidence begins to seem compelling uh, to to accept the theory of evolution as true. Uh, And and there are then many who are left with the question, who've already embraced it as true because of these pressures, that then turn and ask the question, uh, since evolution is true, could it Uh, be still compatible with Scripture. They don't want to walk away from their faith, and so they end up holding both of these two things together. Uh, This is called theistic evolution, and it's an attempt to synthesize Darwinian evolution uh, with the Christian faith. Can that be done, brothers and sisters? Could we take Darwinian evolution and synthesize it with the Christian faith? 
Well, let me go to Scripture and, and, and seek to show you why we have to say no uh, to that as, as much as we might want to say yes. Uh, now again, remember, we're talking about evolution. We're not talking about adaptation, change in, in living beings, uh, which is observed all the time. But the, the idea that every species on earth originated from one single-celled ancestor. Well, can that be true and Scripture still be true? Well, Genesis 1, we read it together, and, and the truth is, even a child can read Genesis 1 and recognize that's telling a different story, that this is not the same story as the story of Darwinian evolution. They're, they're incompatible in dozens of different places. Uh, for example, Genesis 1 teaches the world was created in six days. Theistic evolution requires millions of years. Huge difference. I'll come back to that point in a moment. Uh, Genesis 1 also says that God created the different plant and animal species, each according to its kind. Darwinian evolution says no. One kind created all the kinds uh, over, over the, a long period of time. Uh, Genesis 2 says that man was created in a separate act of creation from the dust. Uh, whereas evolution teaches that no, man evolved from, from different already existing animal species. Uh, there's, there's no believable way to make those two ideas cohere. They, they, they're telling different stories. Uh, Genesis 2 also teaches that Adam and Eve were the, the single ancestors of all human beings on earth. Whereas theistic evolution teaches that if they existed at all, uh, then they would have been one of many ancestors, one of a community of, of ancestors. Uh, Genesis 3 teaches that death, it's a huge point, that death is the result of the fall. Whereas theistic evolution teaches that death actually existed in the world for millions and millions of years, even before humans ever existed. Now, some have tried to get around this by saying, well, maybe only human death is the result of the fall, but we can, we can accept in uh, animal death. Uh, but, but that's still a different story than you, the one you have in creation. Uh, Romans 8 talks about the entire creation being subject to decay because of sin. Uh, if any of you have ever watched Planet Earth with your children, you know that there are scenes there where you have to shield their eyes. It's not human death. But, but the animal death and the animal suffering is so gruesome, so terrible, uh, that even a child recognizes that's not the way things were meant to be. It's horrifying. In fact, this is, uh, this is one of the, the greatest arguments that atheists have set out against the idea of a possibility of a God. How could such a God create a world with so much human and animal suffering? Uh, you, you watch a jaguar uh, I remember a scene watching with my son I had to shield his eyes a jaguar uh, slowly tearing apart a, a little baby monkey uh, bit by bit uh, are you going to tell me that that was part of God's good creation before man and, and, and woman fell into sin uh, no it's a broken world that we live in uh, or, or a mother humpback whale and her calf uh, running for days and days and days, not running, swimming, uh, from, from orcas trying to kill them uh, until she finally runs out of energy and has to stop and watch them eat her calf. You can tell me that's part of God's good creation? Uh, no way. Uh, according to Scripture, death, suffering, and the brokenness in creation have a source, and that source 
is sin, is human sin. Because we were given the task to rule creation, when we fell, creation fell with us. As badly as some Christians might wish it otherwise, God's Word and Darwinian evolution do not Uh, do not fit together. Uh, They do not line up. Anyone attempting to persuade anyone from from the Hebrew, uh, from from, literary analysis, these these profound theories, they're missing the larger picture that says these things do not cohere. They're not compatible. It's an exercise in self-deception and it's an exercise in the mockery of Scripture. If even a child knows this is a different story and we're saying, well, we're going to find a way to make it the same story, uh, are we truly treating Scripture with the kind of respect uh, that it deserves? Uh, there, There is no seriously believable way to make the two harmonize. And that matters because if we're saying we're going to do it anyways, we're going to harmonize these things if we have to jam them together and you know, scrunch, uh, scrunch them all together until it works. If that's what we're doing, whether we admit it or not, we are rejecting the truth of Scripture as we do that. Uh, we are forcing Scripture into a mold in which it will not fit, and we're demonstrating we don't actually care whether it fits or not. We're going to make it work whether it ought to or not. And, and, and this is why it so often happens that one generation will embrace the middle route, will embrace theistic evolution, and the next generation, their children, simply reject Scripture altogether because they know perfectly well what their parents were doing. They weren't standing in faith on Scripture. They were saying, we will believe the world on this uh, fundamental human question. Oh, we need to understand then that Darwinian evolution is fundamentally a religiously motivated account of our origins. It borrows from science for sure, but it isn't science, no matter how much it pretends to be. Uh, of course, serious science can be conducted by evolutionists, but the theory as a whole is, as it always was, a religious explanation of our origins. Uh, that, that is why it's so important that in our schools, I trust this happens here in, in, in Harvest as well, our schools need to provide a curriculum that's, that's sufficiently rigorous in the sciences uh, that our children are able to distinguish between these things. Between, for example, uh, the evidence and the interpretation of the evidence. Can you tell the difference? Can your children tell the difference? Uh, so that we will not be led astray by the claim that this interpretation is science. It's not. Uh, and we must, we, we simply must put God's word first. There, there's no way around that. Uh, creation, uh, it's true that the Belgian Confession speaks of creation as, as a book. Um, in that way, the, the, the word of God is a book and creation is a book, both uh, having so many letters that teach us about our God. That is, that is true, but creation is also a book that's very easy to misread if you want to misread it. Uh, uh, for the time being, uh, the, the reality is we, we as Christians are vastly outnumbered, vastly out-resourced by the world in, in these historical sciences. And so the reality is there will always be far more arguments set forth in, in support of evolution than there are in support of creation. Uh, that's just where the world is on this issue. 
but we, we, we can and we should train ourselves and our children to put God's word first and from that perspective then to recognize the difference between what's evidence, what's data, and what's merely interpretation of, of that data. Uh, so in the first place, the, the greatest conflict between, uh, but the, the greatest problem within theistic evolution is, is simply it's plain to tell for any objective observer uh, that, that it tells a different story than the one you find in Scripture. Uh, and so it is, uh, whether we admit it or not, a rejection of Scripture. If God's Word can't be trusted there in the first chapter, can you really trust it anywhere else? Uh, it, you think of what Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3. He said, If I have told you earthly things and you did not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Is that not the way it works? Uh, now, it's not only that problem. It certainly is. Uh, that, that evolution, um, theistic evolution makes God's word untrustworthy. But think further with me for just a moment of what theistic evolution does to the gospel message itself. Uh, in the first place, it says something about the character of God. Uh, if, if, if Genesis says that uh, seven times that God saw all that he had made and it was very good, according to theistic evolution, God is saying that of a world that is filled with every kind of suffering, agony, and pain, and death, of course, and cruelty. Well, what does that say of the word of God, or of, of excuse me, of the character of God? Uh, in fact, theistic evolution teaches that God directed evolution, uh, that, that God was in control of evolution, using it to produce the human race. Uh, by, so think about that. God is using the process of the, the strong killing, torturing, eating the weak in order to ultimately produce the human race. And God's calling that very good. Uh, that's a different God. Uh, and, and how can such a God now call things like murder or neglect or, or forced starvation evil when he used those things for millions of years already to get us to where we are? That's a different God. Uh, it leads to another problem. If death existed before sin, what exactly did Christ come to save us from? Why did Christ die if it wasn't to save us from death, which came from sin? If death is not the punishment for sin, but something that already existed, what kind of gospel do you have left? Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says that in Adam all died, and so in Christ all will be made alive. But if death already existed long before Adam, uh, how is Christ going to make us alive? Uh, what does his death save us from? Uh, there are many more problems. What happens to the image of God in, in human beings? Well, we believe as Christians that we are endowed with the, human, or with, with the image of God uh, on every human being, and therefore we have dignity and sacred worth. What happens to that if we are nothing but evolved animals? Or are we really more valuable than the animals if that's all we are? Well, I think the point is clear. Scripture and Darwinian evolution teach different stories, and they lead to very different conclusions. Uh, creation is fundamental to Christianity, just like Darwinism is fundamental to the first and, and, and most fundamental doctrine of atheism, that we are not God's creation. Uh, if we reject the biblical account of creation, we lose the gospel, and we ultimately lose 
Christ. You cannot have Christianity without creation. Uh, and, and thank God then that there are so many good, uh, believing scientists that show time and again we don't need to reject the biblical doctrine of creation uh, to, to see uh, that, that the, word, the world that the Word of God points out is the world in which we live. Let me say briefly a word just about the time scale. Uh, this is a, a niche argument, but it, it is actually alive within our churches. Um, th- there are some who ask, do the days in Genesis have to be literal 24-hour days? Uh, could they represent long ages? Now, it's true that the, the word day in Genesis 1, it doesn't have to refer to a 24-hour day. The Hebrew word can refer to long periods of time. Uh, just like in English, the same thing is true in English. Uh, maybe your, your grandpa used to say, you know, back in my day, uh, well, that's, uh, he's not talking about a single day. He's talking about a, an age, a period, a period of time. Uh, however, the plain sense in Genesis is normal 24-hour days. Uh, There's no indication there that they are anything but ordinary days, especially because they're surrounded by morning and evening. What kind of day do you ever find anywhere that's that's surrounded by morning and evening and isn't a a literal 24-hour day? Uh, So the question is, do you have a compelling reason for believing that they're anything else? Uh, Some Christians prefer to interpret the days as long ages because they believe this gives us leeway uh, with at least geologists. At least we get that. Uh, We get to be at peace with with that. Um, And and that way we can believe that the six days of of Genesis took place over, over many millions of years. Well, here's the problem. If you do that, You interpret those days symbolically as referring to long periods of time. And and then we say the earth and the layers in the rocks are all very old. Uh, Then what do you do with the fossils that are buried within those, those layers that tell stories of death and destruction and suffering? If the rocks are millions of years old, then the fossils contained within those rocks must also be millions of years old. Uh, and, and then you run right away into, again, a different story than the one that Scripture tells us. Uh, the reality is there are much better and scientifically rigorous explanations for, for why we find these layers stacked up the way that we do. Uh, so, Even if it's possible to say that the days aren't 24-hour days, it won't gain us anything in in terms of explaining the evidence that we actually find in this world. Well, here's the point, brothers and sisters. Faith stands on the Word of God, believing that our God tells us the truth. He's not deceiving us. He's not writing something uh, and and lying to us at the same time. Uh, if, if, If you aren't an expert in the science... Uh, as many of us aren't, uh, then you can simply accept God's word for what it is and leave the scientific questions to the scientists. Uh, Just as psychologists will leave, or those who aren't psychologists will leave those questions to the psychologists and and so forth. Uh, uh, You you don't need uh, to... You don't need to know the science to be able to stand on the truth of God's Word. You don't need to be, for example, an expert in Freudian psychology to be able to say, I think that's bogus. Uh, You don't need that. Uh, You can stand on the Word of God. 
Uh, and the reality is, there is always going to be, and you better get used to it, there's always going to be someone who's smarter than you, who knows the science better than you, who can win an argument against you every time. And guess what? There will always be someone smarter than that person too. Uh, that's, that's life on this earth. Your faith cannot rest on whether or not you can win an argument. Uh, it's a poor ground for faith. If you're not an expert, don't be ashamed to simply believe what God's Word tells us to be true. Uh, he is no fool who trusts that God speaks to us the truth. Uh, and Christians that do love science, those that are experts in science, uh, He is no fool who trusts that God speaks to us the truth. Uh, and Christians that do love science, those that are experts in science, should then embrace it from the perspective of the Word of God, trusting that God's Word is telling the truth and will be vindicated in the end. Uh, one of the uh, classic examples of such a scientist is uh, um, some, some of the... Uh, Isaac Newton, I was thinking of the name, uh, Isaac Newton, a, a Christian uh, creationist scientist who lived during the days of, of Charles Darwin and, and, and said that the theory is bogus. Uh, and and he, he is still recognized as the greatest scientist of, of all time. Uh, and yet he didn't believe Darwin's theory. He saw right through it. He knew the community from which Darwin was writing and knew that there were religious philosophical motivations behind it. Uh, and, and this is what many extremely intelligent Bible-believing scientists are doing who are experts, experts in their fields of science, uh, and, and they're seeing the truth of God's Word in the world around them and, and explaining it in scientific terms. Uh, we as Christians should embrace and applaud these sorts of, of efforts. Uh, it's very sad that um, oftentimes, even within the church, on top of all the ridicule that these scientists receive from the world, uh, many fellow Christians seem to take pleasure in joining in heaping ridicule upon them, and that in front of the world, uh, because they so badly want that acceptance and that respect that comes from the world. Uh, and sometimes they heap ridicule with a degree of vitriol that even the world uh, doesn't reach. But what they despise and what the world heaps ridicule upon is faith itself, is faith that stands on the Word of God and says, this is the world in which I live. Uh, it's faith that trusts that God's Word will be proved true in the course of time as it so often has in the course of history. Uh, and so faith takes risks. Faith takes the risk of standing on the Word of God saying, this is what I believe in spite of what the world thinks, and here I'll stand no matter how many uh, people will persuade me or seek to persuade me otherwise. Uh, so, so let me conclude then. The doctrine of creation is fundamental to our faith, and we must believe it as God's Word teaches it. And as we believe it, we can also expect to see it born witness in our world. Uh, we do not seek as Christians the approval and acceptance of man. We need to get used to that. Uh, we seek the approval of God. So Hebrews 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Uh, 
So the gospel of Jesus begins with creation and makes no sense without it. Uh, No matter how how desperately the world wants to interpret things uh, otherwise, uh, we were created by God, distinct from the animals, made to know God, love Him, and live with Him. And that's the foundation for the gospel. Uh, Creation shouts that truth out loud. Every one of us is born as a worshiper. Uh, You see this in every human culture. We are worshipers by nature. We were made to worship God. And that's the point that Paul puts forth in Acts 17. God made from one man every nation on earth to worship him. And therefore, he also commands us to repent. Uh, and, And we repent looking even at the evidence that God has placed us in the world around us. The love and the hatred that we feel in our hearts, that's a testimony to the fact that you were made for, for God, for a, for a moral being. Uh, the beauty, the ugliness that we see and that we, we, we uh, believe, that we recognize in this world is a reflection of our being made in the image of God. Uh, the knowledge of right and wrong that we have written on our hearts where we know what's wrong. We, we, and it's not just a feeling, it's a conviction that is true of that which is right and that which is wrong. That testifies to you were made in the image of God. And all of that together testifies you were made for relationship with God. And, and the gospel calls you back to relationship with God. Uh, the, the more we begin to, to see who we are, the more we begin to also recognize what a terrible offense our sin is. And that's the foundation you see Paul laying in Acts 17. How truly ugly our sin is and why why God detests it, why God judges it with an eternal judgment, and therefore why God sent Jesus Christ and now calls you to repentance. All of these are things we must know if we are ever to understand the message of the cross, that God looked at this broken, fallen, pitiful world and sent his son Jesus Christ to save the broken creatures that we are who are made to be in his image uh, but who had fallen so far and God sent him to restore us back to that image in which we were created. That's the true history of our world. That's the message of the gospel. Uh, Yes, unrighteous men who are headed towards judgment, will reject that and they will ridicule it. But don't let their rejection of what is plainly visible be the, be the cause of your inability to see it. Don't take the fact that they reject it and say, therefore I too must reject it. Don't lose what you have just because they don't have it. Take God at his word because he speaks the truth. Let his word open your eyes and then you will see and run to the Savior whom God has sent.